as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. School districts have been looking for very creative ways to keep teachers and to recruit talent from other school districts in, in general. There's been a teacher shortage for quite some time. One of the things uh, we're discussing is a four-day work week for teachers. Joining us on 710KURV from the Association of Texas Professional Educators is Mani Exter. So uh, welcome to the show, Mani. What are some of the things that school districts have been doing to get creative to keep some of their teachers around? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. Um, well, as you mentioned, I think you know one of the most creative things uh, that they're looking to do because what they're hearing is that, you know, teachers need time, time to decompress, time for planning, um, you know, just additional time um, to deal with burnout is coming up with these ways um, to provide them with that extra time um, and to really look at this four-day work week, um, which doesn't necessarily mean a four-day school week, right? Um Work week and school week are not the same. That's um, fascinating. And, okay. And, you know, so that's great. So some school districts are saying, hey, we can't pay you. We can't offer you the lucrative raises that some of the larger school districts offer you. So we'll just give you the four-day work week. But but uh, since you, you brought it up like that, that that doesn't necessarily mean a four-day school week. How, how is it intended to work? So um, there are some districts, I think, that are looking at having you know, four days of more traditional school and then maybe one day that's dedicated to tutoring and some other um, <clears throat> things that could happen on campus. But um, there is an, at least one other district that I'm aware of that's taking an approach of utilizing some block scheduling to effectively say, okay, well, we have these core curriculum um, components that we build into the school day. And if we um, load up one type of curriculum at the beginning of the week and we load up another type of curriculum at the end of the week, <clears throat> then we can effectively say, okay, we have the bandwidth to let half of our educators have off on Mondays and half of our educators to have off on Fridays, creating a four-day work week for the educator, but a five-day regular academic school week for the students which is also obviously important to the parents because just because school uh, educators oh, are having yeah. a four-day work week doesn't necessarily mean that parents are going to transition to one. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Money Exter from the Association of Texas Professional Educators joining us. Yeah, I, As far as like learning goes, though, for, for students in, in, in a block schedule versus the traditional way, is there any change in how they retain the curriculum? I mean, there are pros and cons. Um, and block scheduling is definitely not new by any means. This is just a new way to use it. Uh, you know, block scheduling usually means that you've got 
longer spans of time that you're covering a particular topic. So, you know, instead of one 45-minute session on, say, math, you get two of those sessions back-to-back, so you're doing an hour and a half. Um, you know, pro to that, it gives you more time to more deeply cover whatever portion of the curriculum that you're trying to cover that day. Um, you know, maybe a con is that uh, you're then not having math every day, right? Like usually in mm. block scheduling, it's it's maybe every other day because you've got an A-B block. So you're doing some classes on the A days and some classes on the B days. Um, so pros and cons, but overall, a lot of people have liked block scheduling for a long time. And it certainly presents us with this um, interesting alternative to providing more time for educators. Davis Rankin, your question for Monty Exter. Does... Uh, the Texas Education Agency or the legislature have any say, I mean, any say over what districts offer? Um, so in terms of the way districts structure their calendars, there's a lot of independence in the independent uh, school district. Um, in the, the things that districts have to cover though during the academic year absolutely there are um both through the state board of education and more specifically in the texas education code which is um you know put forth by the legislature um very strict and specific things that you know we have to make sure that we cover Mm -hmm. Um, we also have state curriculum standards um that are very detailed um that schools have to cover on practically every subject so there's be no reason for the state, for the state, uh, and any its any of its incarnations to object to to what's been going on, or what is no, unfolding. Um, you know, not not really. Um, and in fact, in many ways, I think that um, the agency really has encouraged this kind of out of the box thinking, mm-hmm. um, and legislators, I think, are just starting to sort of hear about districts taking these new approaches, um, you know, and, and I've not heard any sort of negative reactions from legislators yet. Um, I would certainly say that it would be incumbent upon them if they did have concerns um, to come up with ways to um, better finance um, educators and education if they are going to say, well, mm-hmm. this is not a thing we want you to do. Hmm. Okay. Oh, you look like you had another question. We're well, speaking I'm, with Monty Exter from the Association of Texas Professional Educators. We're talking about some of the offerings that some school districts are, are doing that have um, smaller budgets than the larger school districts in, in keeping teachers. How big is the teacher shortage right now? You know, um, it, it really varies across the state. But what I will say is, you know, we've heard about teacher shortages for a long time. And in the past, teacher shortages have been pretty specific in terms of geography. Very rural schools have definitely had issues recruiting for a lot longer um, or in terms of subject matter, say math or um, English uh, as a second language or um, other science or special education. Um, so it's been subject specific, but right now it's become much more broad than that. Um, between everything that's been going on, 
um, in the state, both from the terms of culture and in terms of COVID and in terms of the job market, there are all of these pressures that have incentivized educators to leave the education field for perhaps greener pastures um, or certainly um, less rigorous pastures uh, in order to make a living. And so that has really exacerbated this teacher shortage and it has become very widespread. Uh, and so we definitely have to find some way of combating this. In addition to that, even the teachers that aren't leaving the classroom are experiencing dramatic levels of burnout. Um, and that's not good for them. It's also not good for their students. One of the most interesting things about these four-day work weeks is that some of the districts that have been doing them now for a little bit of time have found that their teachers are more productive during those four days than they are perhaps over the five days spread out because they're coming more energized and more ready having had that time to recharge and that time to plan that they didn't have before. As far as, I guess, the, the laundry list of things that teachers are uh, upset about and looking for relief towards, I, the money and the time thing seems like a, a pretty big ratio there. And they, I, I can understand, as, as another form of creator, I can understand the, the, the burnout that they're kind of going through, you know, in, in having to be constantly presenting every day. So what, is there a consensus of what uh, is like number one at the top of the list for them? Yeah, I think that there is a pretty big consensus that when it comes to funding, that's sort of the number one issue, right, and, and teacher pay, compensation. That's the number one issue that is keeping folks from entering the teacher profession. Um, and it's probably the number two issue for why folks are leaving the teaching profession. And then number one and number two flip uh, for folks who are already in the profession because they had some idea about what compensation was going to be like before they got in, their number one issue is that um, workplace environment, the burnout, the workload. Um, and their number two issue is compensation, which, you know, takes on many forms. And I'm guessing a pizza party wouldn't exactly help the situation. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, maybe for that afternoon. Everybody loves pizza. <laughs> it can't hurt, right? <laughs> All right, Monty. Hey, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. That's uh, Monty Exter from the Association of Texas Professional Educators, our guest on Newstalk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. 
The following story, ladies and gentlemen, dates back all the way to the year 1985. Wow. And uh, this is the story that happened recently is kind of an extension of what happened back then. But I, I want our good friend, Alfonso Punto Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas, to talk about this. So way back in 1985, it's the story that, that sparked Red Ribbon Week. Uh, DEA agent Enrique Quique Camarena and the the whole story that happened in Mexico. Tell us about that first before we move on with what happened to this guy that uh, the drug lord, Rafael Caro Quintero. Sure. So back in 1985, I mean, you had this young agent with, with the DEA. He was assigned uh, to Mexico. He was in the U.S. consulate in Guadalajara, Jalisco. And basically, he was investigating what became, well, the first major drug cartel in Mexico. I mean, that's sort of the one where all the other cartels kind of sprouted out from. He was looking into this big, powerful cartel, and uh, sadly, that cartel had connections all the way to the Mexican president, uh, you know, at all levels of government. I mean, they had ultimate protection. So what ended up happening was that this drug, uh, DEA agent was kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. Uh, his remains were found a couple of days later. Uh, and because of the pressure that was put on Mexico by the U.S., they ended up arresting a couple of these drug lords. Uh, one of them was uh, Rafael Caro Quintero, who actually uh, is still wanted in the U.S. for the murder of Agent Camarena. So... Uh, Carlos Quintero was sentenced uh, for various drug trafficking offenses in Mexico, and he spent 28 years in prison in Mexico. And then in 2013, a Mexican federal judge, under some suspicious circumstances, basically said, Mr. Quintero, you're free to leave. Uh, apologies for any inconvenience. And they released them on a weekend, uh, basically without giving the U.S. a heads up. That, you know, because there was an extradition order for him, they didn't let the U.S. know. So since 2013, Caro Quintero has been out and about. Uh, initially, the first couple of years, first couple of months, he actually gave one interview to a, a Mexican journalist said, I just want to retire. I'm old. I just want to live my, you know, whatever time I have left. However, in reality, he actually went back into the drug business. You know, at first, he was kind of siding with the Sinaloa cartel, and then most recently, uh, he broke away from them. He has been fighting with the Sons of El Chapo. And basically, he established his own cartel in the Sonora region, now known as the Caborca cartel. And he's been pretty much uh, leading to a lot of the violence that's been going on in the Sonora, Sinaloa, Chihuahua area. And... Uh, pretty much up until this weekend when the Mexican uh, Army, well, Mexican Navy actually caught him in a, in a surprise operation. You know, they said, we, we got him. And it's one of those where everybody was a bit surprised. Uh, but uh, yes, definitely, they, they, they arrested him. Joining us on 710KURV um, from Breitbart, Texas, Adolfonso Poncho Ortiz and we're talking about the drug lord Rafael Caro Quintero, who is wanted for the murder of DEA agent Enrique Quique Camarena all those years ago back in 1985. It's just, it's just, it's fascinating how these things go full circle after so long. So how did they end up catching the guy? 
Well, there's various versions of what happened, uh, and there's been some controversy. So Mexico's uh, Navy said they, they caught him in an operation that they had been looking for him, et cetera, et cetera, and that when when the, when they got close to him, he tried to run away, and they used a, a, a bloodhound to track him, and they found him hiding in the brush. That, uh, that's pretty much what, you know, what they, uh, uh, the official version of events. And, uh, sadly though, uh, soon after, once they, you know, they, they, they arrested him, they put him in a plane and they flew him out of that area. Uh, you know, a couple of hours later, a helicopter from the Mexican Navy crashed and 14, uh, Marines died. Uh, some of the Marines were part of that operation. So there was all this speculation whether had that helicopter been shot down or, or you know, uh, apparently it's supposed to have been an accident. So that's the story that Mexico is saying that they, 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 it was an operation to track him down and they caught him without incident. Um, then there was some more controversy because uh, a, a couple of outlets, uh, some in the U.S. and a lot of outlets in Mexico, uh, went off this uh, internal memo that was sent by the administrator of the DEA, uh, Annual Grant, to her staff, where pretty much, you know, she announced the capture of, of, uh, of uh, Carlos Quintero, and pretty much he, she said, uh, and I, I quote, today our incredible DEA team in Mexico worked in partnership with Mexican authorities oh, uh, to capture and arrest Carlos Quintero. That's what the DEA administrator sent to her to her agency. Uh, somehow this got leaked and the media jumped on it. Uh, however, the very next day, the U.S. ambassador sent out another statement saying that Mexico had done it on their own and that the U.S. had no involvement in the capture of Carlos So it sort of became a political uh, jumble of Mexico, and the Mexican president has been out there saying it, it was all us, we had no help from the DEA, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Hasn't the DEA or any American uh, agent, I thought they were forbidden to operate in Mexico since AMLO got in. Exactly. So that's why there's a lot of credence to uh, the, the fact uh -huh. that uh, basically uh, Mexico's Navy did it on their own and not, you know, with the help of the DEA. I mean, one of the things that AMLO, uh, we talked about is in, in the past, is that AMLO basically tied the hands of all federal agencies in, the, in Mexico mm -hmm. to yeah. avoid, uh, you know, pretty much having other high-profile officials being prosecuted for drug, drug charges and stuff like that. I mean, need, need I remind you that the former Secretary of Defense uh, was in, uh, criminally indicted in the U.S. Uh, a couple of years ago when he was released, <laughs> but you get the idea of, of you know, yeah, how things are magical. Joining, joining us on 710 KURV is Ildefonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. We're talking about uh, drug lord Rafael Caro Quintero and some of the implications behind what happened with his capture. Uh, so, I... I got a this question. Is this is going to be a strange question. Um, we always speak about the implied relationship of AMLO and the drug cartels, right? So when when he comes out and he gives you know Mexico credit for this, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? He, he doesn't want to necessarily say the U.S. had anything to do with it because, uh, well, what are the U.S. doing there in the first place? But at the same time, hey, you know, we're looking for 
you know, drug lords, and we're we're coming to get you. That, that, you that's kind of the, traditionally that's what the message sounds like, isn't you it? Sympathetic. Well, yes and no, because you see, <laughs> uh, if you look back at some of the actions taken by the AMLO administration, they have sort of favored uh, the Sinaloa cartel. You know, they, they captured and released the son of El Chapo. And, you know, they captured him and then AMLO had him released. Uh, and if you look at some of the actions by the military, that's the one cartel that they really haven't touched. They've gone after all the other cartels, but, uh, you know, they will not touch the Sinaloa cartel. And remember I said that Caro Quintero had originally come back and, and sort of worked together with the Sinaloa cartel, but had most recently been fighting with them, especially the sons of El Chapo. So by, I mean, you know, there's always some pundits saying this in Mexico, that by him taking care of Caro Quintero, he's actually helping the Sinaloa cartel. Scandalous. <laughs> Davis <laughs> Rankin, before we leave, we have time for one more question. Uh, what? Uh, how do you read uh, AMLO's above-board hostility to American uh, uh, offers to help or intervention in Mexico's drug lord affairs? Um, and now all of a sudden, <clears throat> apparently the DEA is helping out and... Uh, What's what does this mean? It it he didn't do it because he felt good. He wants something or he's doing something. What what's the interpretation? Well, I mean, there really isn't an interpretation. I mean, basically, it's uh, you know the, the, he. I mean, they they captured this one drug lord. He's wanted by the U.S. Uh, mind you, this one particular drug lord is actually linked to the current Secretary of Energy of Mexico. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's all these ties to uh, prior politicians um, as to why they, they, they caught him. I mean, that's a very uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I mean, to be honest, the U.S. isn't even the U.S. government currently is not really cracking down on organized crime in Mexico. I mean, they're not really pushing for capturing drug cartel bosses. Mm -hmm. You know, the border no. is sort of in a crisis right now. There's really no, you know, apparent interest by the U.S. government in dealing with what's going on in the border, much less in Mexico. Uh, mm -hmm. The only, the only real concern that the U.S. government currently has is uh, how the the migrant crisis is going to play out in, in, in the upcoming elections. I mean, if you think about it, cause, because uh, <laughs> a lot yeah. of people are starting to question their, their votes and the popularity of the president. Next, the U.S. Yeah. president is really taking the beating right now. You're, you're not but wrong, as far as the U.S. government focusing on drug lords, I don't see it. Well, I was going to, before we before we finish, I completely forgot. Uh, the status of extraditing uh, Mr. Quintero to the U.S., uh, what are the chances of that happening? Not very likely. So there's a judge that already filed an injunction, basically saying, uh, hold everything, he has to have a, a full extradition process that's going to take months, even years. And with this guy being up there in age, I mean, he may not even live to set set foot in the U.S. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not. Davis yes. is laughing because it's sad. That's it's why. humorous. It's just like, 
we it's can't dark, figure this dark, stuff out. It's dark humor, Davis. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's dark humor. Pancho, yes. as usual, Thank we love you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Pancho. It's Alfonso Pancho Ortiz. You can read uh, everything that he writes for Brightport, Texas. Go to brightport.com slash border and check out the Border Chronicles. This is News Talk 710 KURV, the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We've asked one of the biggest brains in all of the Lone Star State to join us to talk about the economy. Joining us on 710 KURV from the Perryman Group, the appropriately named Dr. Ray Perryman. So we're number five. And uh, that's not necessarily a good thing, is it? No, it's no, it's not. I mean, it, it's not catastrophic to be this, but but we could do a lot better than that. And and some of the reasons, in particular, I think, are really pointing to some of the, the issues going on in Texas right now that are starting to get the kind of attention around the country that we don't really want. And uh, I I, I uh, forgot to mention specifically, what are we number five in? And this is a drop in the rank of whatever. Um, number five we are, correct? Yeah, that, that's right. It, it's basically a ranking that CNBC has done for many years of the top uh, states in the in the country for business, the states that are the most uh, competitive for business. And we were consistently number one or number two for years and years. We dropped to number four last year. And we dropped to number five this year. And again, it's not the end of the world, but it's not the kind of trend you like to see happening. I mean, we've basically gone second, fourth, fifth. That, that's not a good uh, trend line to be on. So what's the... What's the deal? I guess what's going on? What? Why? Why have we been dropping? Well, several several things. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, uh, as the as uh, we always rank number one in workforce, we slipped to number two. And I think if you go out and check a little further in the rankings, we're ranking kind of in the middle of the pack in education. And you can't really maintain number one in workforce if you're about number 25 or so in education. That Those two can't go together. We're also uh, falling into the middle of the pack in terms of infrastructure because we're not investing the same level of resources some states are. And But then I think the biggest culprit, there, there was another one in terms of, of some business regulatory climate and that sort of thing. But I think the biggest one by far, Texas ranked 49th on on a category that included things like providing uh, health insurance. Obviously, we're, we're, we have the highest uninsured rate in the country. And then things like inclusiveness, our policies on voting rights, our policies on, on uh, sexual identity, our policies on reproductive rights, all of those things that have really been in the news a lot lately. And a lot of companies simply don't want to work don't, don't want to locate in a place, and more importantly, their knowledge workers don't want to move to a place that uh, that has those types of policies in place. And again, it, it hasn't killed us at this point in time, but the trend line we're seeing here is, is not good. Joining us on 710 KURV, Dr. Ray Perryman from the Perryman Group talking about our new economic uh, ranking according to CNBC. Davis Rankin, your question. 
Uh, I got a thousand million questions. Uh, uh, but Dr. Perry knows. We have, knows probably have 14 answers, so do your best. <laughs> well, we've been doing this long enough. I think Dr. Perryman knows what I would like to ask. But um, when I hear about voting rights, can, you, can anybody out there tell me what's been cut back? No, they can't. They know what the headlines are. And I wasn't in favor of them doing all that stuff, the Republicans in the legislature. But um, what I would think that personal appeals, you would be you would be right in the middle of this, that that personal appeals to companies would override these measures. Um, no. Well, I, I don't know that personal appeals do, uh, but the well, I mean, personal solicitations in Texas I mean. and some of the and some of the cost advantages we've had here in Texas have been good uh, for a long time. You know, for years and years, uh, we had three straight really, really good salespeople as governor. Uh, George Bush was a good salesperson. Ann Richards was a good salesperson. Yeah. Rick Perry was a good salesperson. They were all very good salespeople, but a lot of times they had to say maybe and we'll try when the other states could say yes. We finally got some incentive programs in place during the Perry administration and some other things in place in terms of economic development that allowed us to say yes more often. And that's when we really came up to be toward the leader of the pack. The situation we're facing right now is, and where we're slipping some, is there are literally, you know, there are the single most important resource for a whole lot of companies is their workforce. And it's going to get even more that way in the future with the yeah. with the worker shortages. We're seeing the demographics of everything. And so, and, and those workers, literally overwhelmingly, 86% of the workers that are knowledge workers in the country say, we don't want to be in a state that's not inclusive. When you And, and so then when the, when the companies are looking at where to locate, if their workers don't want to move there, they really can't locate there. And th- and we're not there yet. Again, we're still ranked. We're still ranked number five. We're still leading the country in new locations at this point in time. Uh, but but this is just kind of a, a clarion call, a warning sign that we've been given, kind of the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, that that we need to be taking a closer look at these things. What, what do they mean by inclusiveness, Doctor Perryman? Well, basically, you know? the, the things like uh, like policies on, on sexual identity that are not discriminatory, uh, reproductive rights that are not discriminatory, voting rights uh, that are not discriminatory. Basically, being a state that's open to to basically everyone that that uh, that wants to come and seek their fortune in Texas, being able to do so without fear of any words, type of restriction. In other words, we've been dealing with a lot of hot, controversial topics legislatively recently and people kind of don't want to get involved in that that's a that's a good way to say it exactly they simply don't want to be identified with that it's also impacting tourism to some extent because our big conferences always have corporate underwriters and they don't they don't want to underwrite uh uh conferences that are going to be located in places where people uh, don't want to go or, or feel uncomfortable. So there's some impact there, but the CNBC rankings are folks, folks focused exclusively on the business side of things. They don't really get into the tourism side as much. And, and again, uh, you know, number five in the country out of 50 states, is not a bad place to be, but when you're falling one, two, four, five, uh, the message you're getting is, is that we, we need to be taking a, a careful look at these things. Joining us on 710 KURV is Dr. Ray Perriman, the Texas economist. And yeah, it seems like people want to avoid, you know, just drama in general in, in here in the well, not not here in the state because they seem to be picking a fight all over the place. But but uh, we seem to love it, like business. <laughs> but around the country, that, that, that around the country, that that absolutely is the issue. And again, it comes down to uh, you know, again, corporations looking as they look mm-hmm. ahead. In the past, they might be able to look at other things, but as they look ahead, particularly the tech companies. 
workforce is, is, is the number one issue, and I'm not sure what number two is. I think workforce may be number one, two, three, four, and five. It's, it's absolutely critical to the future, and that's where it's, it's sort of bringing these things up in, a little more into the uh, limelight than they have been uh, at, at times in the past, and, and recent laws have been passed in Texas, court decisions that have, been, that have come down from Washington. There's been a lot of things going on lately that have really pushed these issues out to the forefront, and it's beginning to have an impact on Texas. This Your is question, a, Davis. The uh, the what's not being said, but I'll say it is that um, other than Texas culture, um, the the ethos, the zeitgeist in a lot of Texas, um, maybe even up, still up in East Texas where you come from, is that's there. But also, it's policies adopted by the uh, Texas legislature, which has been very Republican and just occurred to me, uh, I don't know if they court fights, but they're not unhappy. I always perceive they're not unhappy to have the right people uh, pushing against them. Witness uh, the Disney, um, the Disney dust up. I think you're right about that. I mean, again, I grew up in a, in a very rural conservative area in East Texas, as you know, and, and, and there are plenty of other parts of the state that share that, including the one where I live in West Texas right now. But generally speaking, the people who live there yeah. are welcoming, friendly, inclusive people. It's these policies that are getting a lot of attention, and they've tended to not, you know, when you talk about that, I try to be as nonpartisan as possible. Republicans have had some really good ideas over throughout history. Free trade is an outstanding idea, yeah. as an example, and, well, and yeah. one that certainly benefited your region quite a bit that normally speaking historically has been something Republicans have strongly backed and Pushed. Yeah. But we, we've gotten into where the politics have become more ideological and less about the economy, less about solving problems and that sort of thing. As you say, uh, with the funding, the way it works now, and that sort of thing, sometimes they even relish the fights and like the fact that, that somebody in some other state says something bad about them or something like that. And so that's, uh, you know, it's gotten us a little bit off track here. And I don't think it's something we can't correct, but it's something that we need to really start taking a look at because this is, again, this is a canary in the coal mine. This is this is not saying Texas falls apart in the next two weeks or anything like that. But, you know, when you're ranking as first, second, fourth, fifth, and, 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 and you start looking at that trend and you see the reasons behind it, it tells us we need to be taking a closer look at these things. Yeah. Um, joining us on 710 KURV is Dr. Ray Perriman from the Perriman Group. We're talking about the state of Texas economically and who are the who are the top three uh, states right now, and is there anything that we should be modeling ourselves after to 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 get that rank back? Yeah, I, I don't have a list in front of me right now. I know Virginia ranked higher than we did. I know North Carolina ranked higher than we did, and a couple of others. And and I don't remember which ones those were, but but some of the states that we frequently compete against for some of these big-time locations uh, were ahead of us in the rankings right now. And again, I'm less concerned about that than I am about that basically just a trend we're seeing here. And, and, you know, we focused on the one big issue, but, but you can't lose sight of the fact when you're in the middle of a pack on education and infrastructure and you're trying to grow an economy that's already behind on infrastructure behind and behind on education, those are other issues that really need to be addressed. I mean, this thing sent a lot of different messages out there to us that, that I, what I'm meant to do in writing the column is just help make sure those messages got a little bit more attention. When you say infrastructure, are you, are you talking about roads, highways? About roads, highways, broadband, uh, any anything that it takes, oh. the, the underpinnings, 
that it takes to kind of keep the economy running. Uh, we, we've fallen behind on, on, on highway yeah. funding. We've, we certainly haven't adopted some of the mass transit uh, options that some of the that yeah. other places with the kind of population tongue, centers Dr. Texas Perry. has have adopted. <laughs> I mean, there, there's several aspects to it. Roads is what we think about, and I think increasingly, yeah. particularly given how spread out our state is and how and how geographically diverse, I think broadband is becoming a new piece of that infrastructure. And of course, we've seen the power grid go through a lot of challenges <laughs> as well. So there, there's a lot of different things out there in terms of infrastructure. Um, yeah, I, I'm not Last trying question, to. Last question, Well, I'm not trying to back you in, into a corner, uh, but it's inevitable. It seems to me. I don't know what the Democrats would do if they were in charge in the legislature. To the extent the legislature can, the legislature can increase funding for highways. They could incent people to do mass transit. Um, they could incent people to uh, do broadband, but they're not. I don't see any of that changing. Do you? I mean, in the short term, I don't know what that is. In, 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 in the very short term, probably not. I mean, in, in the very short term, there seems to be a, a philosophy that, that's pretty dominant and more than likely will remain dominant at least through the next one or two election cycles. Uh, I think oh. it's going to have to, unfortunately, get to the point that it begins to inflict some, some pain before people start to take a little bit different look at it. And there again, it's not about conservative, mm-hmm. liberal, or anything else. If you look at traditional conservatism and traditional liberalism, what normally could happen and happened in Texas for many, many decades was that, you know, they could get together in a room and work something out that made some sense. And, yeah. and, that, and that's the sort of thing that, that hopefully we can get back to at, at some point in, in the not too distant future. Thank you, uh, Dr. Well, Perryman. We'll keep an eye on that, and don't don't tell the governor about that whole infrastructure teaching thing. He's got enough. He's got enough on his hands in those areas. That's Dr. Ray Perryman, the Texas economist, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. And don't forget that this is your home for Houston Astros baseball weekends, weeknights, all season long at 710 KURV. Made possible by Riverside Development Services, F&T Valley Motorsports, Saka Olay, and MissionIncredible.com. Davis Rankin, we have been talking about water and water levels and drought conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Not to freak anybody out, but just to raise awareness that this is the current situation that we are in. And you happen to book an expert on uh, the current yeah. situation of our water levels. Who's your expert? No, if he, if he wasn't an expert when he started, my guess is uh, he is now. Uh, Jim Darling was mayor of McAllen, and he's also a city commissioner, and he's retained, although he's not mayor anymore, he's retained his chairmanship of the Rio Grande Valley Regional Water Authority, which sounds like he's got a tremendous amount of power and a big budget. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to call you Mayor Darling, I'm going to call you Jim, because uh, it's yeah, awkward otherwise. <laughs> 
hey, if, you, if we say if, if if the word mayor slips, we apologize. But That's uh, okay. isn't it like isn't it like calling? Isn't it like calling like former president still Mr. President? Like you were yeah. the mayor, so we still call you Mr. Mayor. It's just ingrained. I, well, you yeah. know, I, I call Leo Montavo mayor, Richard Cortez mayor. I still call him mayor because I think that's <laughs> the best, the highest position you could hold in a political uh, office. Yeah. Hey, mayor. All righty, Mayor Darling. Um, what? Uh, what? What's the position we are currently in in Region M for our water well, that, levels right now? Yeah. That's interesting. You know, usually what it is is um, all the cities have to pass so conservation ordinance and a drought um, response plan. And so it's based on the water that's allotted to the United States in Falcon and Amistad Reservoirs because that's our main water source, right, water retention source. And the problem is right now is we only have data from the 2nd of July because right now um, on the Mexican side it's CELA, uh, who decides uh, Mexican side water, and then we have TCEQ on this side. And IBWC is the one that really maintains the reservoirs, if you will. Once it's released, it's released mm-hmm. to TCEQ or CELA, depending on what country it's going to. Well, they have a little dispute as to how much water is in the reservoir right now, and so they haven't resolved that yet. And so the numbers we still have are from July 2nd. And July 2nd was just barely over 26% of the American side uh, had a percentage of that was American side water. So the reservoirs, all the uh, plans that the city have are based on the reservoir levels. And so we don't have current data, but uh, most cities triggered at 30%. Uh, when it's got down to 30% is their first involuntary stage. Uh, and then it goes down to 25%. So I don't know, you know, it's hard to tell the cities, except they should be at least the first stage. And that is uh, no watering it during the day. Um, no sprinkler systems on during the day. You can use hoses uh, during the day. No car washing and, and um, uh, in your driveways and those kind of simple things that we all should do anyways, yeah. right? And so those are imposed by the cities. Most cities, we don't control whether we control whether they have a plan, but we don't control whether or not they enforce it. So most cities have enforcement levels um, for their plans. How do if they enforce below, that? Yeah, if it goes below a certain point, like a 20%, which is the drought of a record for the reservoirs is when the U.S. side got to 19% in 1998. And uh, fortunately, we had a rain come in 99. By the way, they did a Brandis study, they call it. It was the engineer. In 1998, they were very worried about when there was no agricultural water, uh, whether or not the river could deliver the city's water. There'd be enough water to do that. Yeah. And they found that the average was it's about 68%. So every gal- every gallon released, only 68% got to its customer because the rest was what it took to deliver it. So they have that study, and uh, hopefully we don't get reached there because uh, we'll have to see. The other thing is a lot of cities, uh, now that there's no additional irrigation rights being uh, issued, uh, they have to get their water pushed from the river to their plants, and sometimes that's miles. And if you don't have agricultural water in those canals going from the river to the plant, there's nothing to push the city water because city water is always about maybe 15, 20% of the total water usage. And so cities that don't, that look like they, they need to call their district and see where they are. And if they're not going to have irrigation water, they need to go out and rent some water to push their water from the river to their plant. And right now the market's um, relatively small for that, for that kind of water. 
Joining us on 710 KURV, the former mayor of McAllen, Jim Darling, and now part of the Rio Grande Regional Water Planning Group. Davis Rankin, your question? Yeah. Uh, one, one bit of background information, if I can remember this. In 1944, U.S. and Mexico signed a treaty describing how we're going to divvy up the water here on the border. Um, the Colorado River, which runs between is it Arizona and, Colorado, and California, that I think most of that water goes to Mexico, and then the U.S. the Rio Grande River is divided up, um, and um, that's. I mean, we've we've already been through this where Mexico was not; they were keeping their water, they were not allowing it to go into the two reservoirs, Falcon and Amistad, so it could be delivered to our users. Most of the water used is used by agriculture, but in the event of a pinch. People go before agriculture and the crops burn up if they burn up. Are we getting to another circumstance where agriculture is going to get shorted on water? Oh, sure. Yeah, they're not going to get any allocations right now. So, you know, they're trying to plan what, uh, what crops are going to plant in the fall, et cetera. And um, that's very difficult. I mean, you could talk to people like Sonny and Host and knows better than I, but I think yeah. there's some people um, a little worried about what they're going to plant, whether water's going to be available if we don't have a significant rainfall in yeah. the watershed. You know, when they did the 44, there, were, there weren't a lot of dams. There weren't Falcon or was in the Amistad, but there weren't many dams in Mexico either. So the flowage was uh -huh. pretty easy. There was nothing to stop it. So it's, what's happened in the future, in the past, is um, – you know, 350,000 acre feet supposed to be delivered by Mexico. We get all the Frio and the two rivers that flow into the, the United States. Yeah. We get 100%. But the, the, they didn't have dams back then. And so now they have dams. And so they, it, it doesn't flow automatically. They have to release it to a system and meet their obligation. And uh, it's a five-year cycle, 350,000 acre feet a year. They're not supposed to get behind in cycle, but if they do, they're supposed to catch up at the end of the cycle. And if they don't, then they... It goes in a penalty phase. They've always met it. The unique part last year, and one of the difficulties is the treaty says for every acre foot of water that they give the United States in the reservoir, they have to give two to Mexico, like Tamaulipas and downstream Mexican states. And so it's, it's, it made it so difficult to pay it back because it wasn't just the water the United States was owed. It was every time they release it, they had to do two extra for Mexico too. So this last cycle in 2020, they they got around that by saying you got the United States can have all the water we have in Amistad, I mean excuse me in Falcon, and so they paid us back with all the water they had in Falcon, which means yeah. they didn't have to do two for one because all the water is already there. The problem with it is Falcon's a lot less efficient dam, so we've um, that thing's evaporated and seepage much more than uh, Amistad, so we're running short on water. Even though Mexico paid their debt in 2000, they haven't paid anything since then. <laughs> Is, uh, is it real? I, I got, I got I a question. Will, one of the out of time. Is still the problem of two for one. You know, it's yeah. very difficult for Mexico to pay us when they have to provide other. And so the 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 farmers around that portion of Mexico, around especially around where it goes into Amistad, protest like crazy. They don't want it. They had uh, arm an arm riot almost that when they were trying to give us water in two thousand. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a little bit more complicated than they think. And the bottom line is, we need to take care of ourselves, and that means. You know, don't water in the mornings don't, or afternoons, water in the evenings when they're not going to evaporate as much. Um, don't wash your car. Uh, take showers instead of baths. I know that sounds silly, but it has a significant impact on how much water the cities uses. In, in most cities like McAllen, 
uh, about anywhere between 15 and 60 percent goes on your lawn, landscaping, you know, wow. plants and lawn outside. So there's an opportunity to save that just by being smart and not, and doing it um, appropriately. How how does enforcement work in in times like that? Assuming if if the restrictions were to get higher, how is that enforced? Yeah, cities they have a pill. We don't. Region M is really a planning group, and so uh, we require people to have their plans and conservation plans filed with us. And TCQ requires it. Texas Commission on Environmental Quality controls that. But the cities are up. To, they have to enforce their own ordinances, and so we don't have any authority, but the cities do. So I mean, they, they can find. They could put surcharge on a bill or whatever that they want to enforce if they can. And so um, I remember, I, this is about the fourth or fifth out I've been through. I was city attorney for 28 years, and so I was on the county enforcement end of that. And I remember there was some people, especially commercial people, and that's the balance, you know. I mean, you stop, uh, for instance, car washes have to close after a certain level. I think yeah. it's below 20%, but or 25% in some instances. So it's going to hurt some economy. From people, some people's lawns may dry up, but you got to we got to be sensible about it. And so cities have the obligation to enforce their ordinances. Well, we're done, I think. Unfortunately, I mean, we're almost done with water too. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's you, know, get, you gotta I, pray for a benevolent um, tropical storm that comes in yeah. somewhere south of Renosa and goes straight across into the watershed and fills those reservoirs up. You know, in '56, before they had the, the dams finished. I understand in McAllen, all the Valley cities, there was no water in the river, period. And they drill well. Wow. McAllen had theirs on Bicentennial. But, of course, the population was a lot less back then. And, and they could probably yeah. live with real water, even though they probably couldn't drink it or you had to boil it because it wasn't that great a quality. But at least they had it. But I don't even think, um, you know, with the population we have, that's not going to be a solution if we do run, um, if it gets yeah. really worse. But so well, 1998 well, was the... Was the lowest when it was 19%. So we're still above that. I would think we're probably about 24% just based on what I've seen, but that's not official. And the official has to come out of um, IBWC. All right. Any, any, uh, before we go, any uh, hints on when that's going to be? I just called right before the show. I called over. It's like, I know you guys like to be on the cutting edge of all your news, you know? And so I yes. called over there right before he said, and I still hadn't resolved it. And that's been, I've called this every week. I've called for the last three weeks. All righty. So. Hey, well, Thank our you, time Mayor. is evaporating just like the water, uh, Mayor Darling. So we appreciate your time and being here with us. That's uh, the former Mayor McAllen, Jim Darling, part of the Rio Grande Regional Water Planning Group, our guest on Newstalk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. 
It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.